enlighten me Bitch, I be a boss, I got the sauce, no point in fighting me Demons leave them torch, I run my kingdom, call me sire We never taking L's, only lessons No, we never counting fails, only blessings Never stressing I said enlighten me I be a boss, I got the sauce, no point in fighting me Gang, they hyping me, rightfully I am stable, I am able, I am wealthy Full of health, on the rise, I got the belt You got a problem? Check yourself, bitch yeah. And I'm also still figuring out, like, how to, like, do YouTube and stuff uh-huh. Like, I, yeah, my, like, internet bandwidth at home is yeah. not that strong Because uh-huh. it'll upload to, like, 63% and it'll just uh-huh. stop Okay, And that drives me Fucking insane. Yeah. I I have almost pulled my hair out because of YouTube. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I used to pull my hair out. Like actually? Yeah. Like as like a nervous habit? I mean, I don't think I was not nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine if someone's like, no, I'm perfectly calm. I'm just like pulling out my hair. Uh, (laughs) But Totally mentally stable. Yeah. Yanking yanking trans out. It was like when I was uh, in... No, sixth grade, seventh grade, but like, yeah, I would, I pulled my hair out and I, I used top cover, what is which top is cover? like brown spray because I would like walk from my home to CVS, which I was allowed to do when I was like 11 years old or whatever. I was allowed to walk to CVS yeah, when yeah. I was 11. Right, right. I I'm mean, I didn't s- mean that as like a, a, a part of it. You know, I was just like remembering. <laughs> yeah, your parents yeah. are just like out here. <laughs> you know, just you. like abused and neglected walking <laughs> to CVS when I was 11. Like it was like in town, like no big deal. The walk is not part are of you the from story. A small, you're from a small town. I mean, I feel like when people say that, they mean like farm and you know the police officers' names, which we did because the guy... Chris, who was the head of the police department, was our gardener. Oh, hell yeah. Like, you, you got so, the fir- your yeah. own first name basis with the police. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, you I from guess a small a town, bit. girl. Right. But it's like, you know, a suburb of New York City. So it's also like not. Yeah. But I guess. But but anyway, so I went to CVS. It was perfectly safe. That's not like a notable part of the story. But I bought Top Cover, which um, I think maybe still exists, but it's spray paint for bald spots. And it's the color of your hair. Like they make it, you know, like stockings or whatever, where it's like shades of skin tone. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of men over 50 who know what this is. Right, right. But I had like, I had made a bald spot in the middle of my head. And so I secretly purchased top cover and then secretly sprayed it on my head. And like, I, I just remember that in, I went to Jewish day school. So we like prayed in the morning and like the pews of the synagogue at school where we prayed were elevated. Oh, wow. And this girl, Alana, like was sitting on top of me and looked down. And she's like, what's on your head? And I was so embarrassed. So, oh yeah. Oh, my God. That is so traumatizing. Oh, my God. I know. So, yeah, I, I know. Alana, normally. that sounds like the bitch name at school. Like, that's the bitch at school. I Alana. mean, thankfully, there were, I think, four of them in my class. So this isn't like... I know which one it is, but, like, anybody who... I actually know an Alana, and she's very sweet. I know many Alanas who are very sweet. It's a Jewish name, yeah? Yeah, yeah. It means tree, but for girl. Oh. Oh. Yeah, because I think Elon is a tree, but then Ilana um, is a tree, uh, which is, like, a way of feminizing words in Hebrew. Um, But anyway, so, yeah, it's trichotillomania. It's like a hair pulling out thing. Well, you look like you have a full yeah. head of hair now. Thank you. You're yeah. welcome. I've worked really hard on it. I also pulled out all of my eyelashes. No. Which they're not supposed to grow back. Okay, Thankfully, this, they this, did. 
this girl I went to high school with okay. was getting ready on the way to school. Yeah. Uh, she's putting on her makeup, and her yeah. mom slammed on the brakes okay. while she had an eyelash curler in and ripped out all of her eyelashes, and I don't think they ever grew back. Oh, that's so tragic. Better yourself lucky. Yeah, I feel very lucky because I have, like, a full head of eyelashes as well. And, like, um, yeah, I think that was just, like, God being, like— it was messed up that you did that, but I'm going to give them back to you. I did my eyebrows. I would do my nose hairs, too. Uh, like, I, I do yeah. my nose hairs now. Yeah. Right, but, like, <laughs> I think that there's there's sort of the functional, I need to trim something yes. versus the disordered kind of hair pulling out, which I don't claim to be an expert on it. I just mean my experience of it. It's kind of like you're just pulling something out to get to something. And I, you know, I think it's like a way of exerting control. I mean, I don't think I'm like breaking any mold. No, I think that is a seer as a theory. No, I think that's super interesting. Like, do you kind of like, like the pain of pulling it out? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, you know, but it's like, it's like, I remember thinking like, I'm going to get to the center. I'm going to get the big one. You know what I mean? Like it's like compulsive in that specific way. Like uh, popping pimples. Yes. Yeah. Or gambling, maybe. I feel like I, I haven't pulse, compulsively gambled ever, but like I feel like any addiction, I I may or may not have had them, but I can relate to all of them. Right. You know, like I, I go to program meetings every now and then. It's not how I got sober. I am sober, but like, you know, whatever. It's an annoying thing to talk about. I know, but Being like sober, sober yeah, I don't think it's annoying people, at all. Well, but sober people like always tell you that they're sober. It's like the you sobers know, and vegans. Yeah, totally <laughs> right. But the sober post, it's like you know, it's like ten years, three months, five. It's like it sounds like you need a drink. Honestly, when I read those <laughs> posts, but you know, but I'm worse than all of them because it's like I don't want to. I I'm like, oh, I don't tell people, but like. I tell people that I'm not telling people and I differentiate myself from the people who tell people, but in so doing, I have to tell people that I'm not saying it. <laughs> so definitely. it's like, I'm sober, but I'm not saying that, you know, it's like, you didn't hear it from me and don't tell anybody. Cause I got to tell them first. Oh but, my God. Yeah. Uh, see, no, I obviously with a family of addicts and yeah. have tons yeah. of addicts in my life, yeah. I appreciate the sobriety talk because every time yeah. somebody tells me that they're sober, yeah. I'm like, congratulations. I want to give them a hug. Right. I want to like pump you up. Oh, just, like, yeah. Do a dance for you. Like totally. I get so excited when someone tells yeah. me that they're sober. I don't get annoyed by it. Right. But I could see how like yeah. constantly making that your whole identity right. would be something that people but it, that bother people. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I enjoy knowing as well. I just think it is... I didn't principally get sober through program, you know, like I feel like the main, I, I, I will go to program meetings every now and then, and I have nothing against program. It's just for me, honestly, I feel like the thing, if there is one thing that got me sober, I journal every day. Okay. I use a website to do it. 750 words.com. I'm not sponsored by them or anything, but like, I just, I think they're amazing. I love this. Yeah. It's that's, awesome. That's incredible. I'm a yeah. huge proponent of yeah. journaling. Right. I, there's this uh, journal called the, I think it's the five minute a day journal. Okay. Well, this doesn't take too much longer. I mean, it actually, the website times you, I usually yeah. average like 13, 15 minutes, maybe, you know, yeah. I mean, sometimes I get distracted, but like, because I know there's a timer, I think that helps me to just like do it. Yes. But anyway, the reason I say it is just because I noticed this is a few years ago at this point that like I would I would like smoke weed or take a bunch of Adderall or whatever mm. it was and then the next day when I'm journaling all I'm writing about is how bad I feel about that I did that wow. and I was like at some point I'm like I think I could probably 
write more interesting stuff if I wasn't stuck in this cycle, right? And so it was more just like seeing myself reflected back to me through my writing and noticing like, I think I got more than just that. Like honestly now for me, it's like food and sugar stuff that I'm like, I notice that I feel bad about it. It's a trickier one for a couple of reasons. The, the, the one reason people talk about with food that's tricky is, okay, you can't stop eating, right? That's the big one. Of it's course. like you have to take the tiger out three times a day or pick your metaphor, whatever it is. The other thing I think is that there's a whole like, like theology almost about loving your body you know, and it's like, I'm not saying I don't love my body. I have some notes, but I'm not saying I don't love it. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? I feel grateful for it. I can appreciate it. You know, all of that. And then there's another maybe complicating factor is like, I've been told I didn't grow up like I didn't have a weight problem as a kid. Uh-huh. But then when I got to college, I dated somebody who was pretty critical of my body. I can relate. Yeah. And it was like interesting because like, you know, at the time they were like, oh, this is because I think you're so amazing and you could be so much more amazing if you lost weight and stuff like that. And so it was like pitched as this way of helping me, but it was super confusing because then I I've seen people post like where it seems that they're nodding to this in their own past where it's like exercise used to be something that I would do to kind of appease the naysayers. But then oh, it yeah. gets confusing when you're like, no, now I want to do it because I want to feel better. Oh, my God. Right? I can absolutely relate to this. Yeah. I dated a guy who okay. told me that he thought I should lose six pounds. And sure. I was like, what? Six? Six? Wow. Like, what a number? Like, why? And he's yeah. like, I just feel like everyone, you know, all women just kind of could lose six pounds. Six? Six. I'm like, that's What's such a weird, weird number. Yeah. And that was like how it started. Okay. And then he'd be like, you know, you need to lose 10 pounds. You need to lose 20 pounds. Uh -huh. And it, it started to get like the number started to get higher. Right. He was so negative and he kind of did the same thing where he told me that yeah. my life would improve if I just like went to the gym more, right, if I took right. care of my body more. Right. And by the way, I was killing myself in the gym. Yeah. But I didn't love myself. Yeah. And I think that's what was being reflected back to me yeah. is the fact that I didn't love myself <laughs> and I was kind of like allowing this person to sure. treat me in this Right. particular way. Right. Um, I do remember him saying to me one time, and this is when I was in my early 20s, I had much less self-confidence than I do now. Yeah. But I remember him saying to me how he didn't understand and couldn't wrap his head around how I could be so confident uh -huh. without having like a rock hard, solid body. Wow. And I, it like tore me down. That really got inside my head because yeah. then I felt like I didn't deserve to be confident. Mm -hmm. And then so I kind of like lived the rest of my early to mid 20s mm -hmm. in this state of I wasn't good enough. Yeah. So I can totally relate to that. And yeah. I think for the longest time I had, a, I don't know if you could call it an eating disorder, but sure. I would yeah. starve myself yeah. to the point where I had no energy to do anything. And I would just go to the gym, like do cardio for hours until I right. felt like I burned off all the things that I ate that day. Yeah. yeah I would try these really intense diets. Like mm -hmm. I did this diet called the Ducan diet, which is all meat. Mm -hmm. So it's like no carbs, no sugar, but you literally only eat meat eat for a like, cow. Yeah. yeah you eat right. like a fucking cow yeah. every day. Right. And right. it's so gross. You can't have like any type of spices or sauces or anything. Yeah. So I was literally eating just like wow. cooked 
hamburger meat. Yeah. Like, but like pounds of it. It's so gross. Like, wow. I remember I was yeah. so starving that I went into a Bristol Farms and ate a rotisserie chicken. Um, I was like eating it in the checkout line because I was so starving. I would try all these like crazy essays and then I'd go on like mm-hmm. a juice cleanse after the meat diet mm-hmm. and just put my body through all this crazy shit. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I started doing that like intuitive eating thing that people talk about mm-hmm. where you like listen to your body and it's so like woo woo and like I've tried whatever. I get through that book though. Can I didn't talk see, about that. I didn't read the book. Okay. I just got took advice from all these people. Okay, that, but how do you do it? So if I'm not hungry, okay. I don't eat. Right. That was my problem before is that so I'm an emotional eater. Yes, so I would same. get I would get sad yeah. because, you know, this man was telling me yeah. that he didn't like the way my body looked right. and that I wasn't good enough. Right. I shouldn't have all this confidence because I don't have the body of a Victoria's Secret model. Yeah. Also, like, go fuck yourself. Sure. Like, you don't sure. need any sort of body to have confidence. Like, you can be confident yeah. in any type of body shape or form. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. So it's about, like, what's within. So... I would get sad and depressed, and mm-hmm. so I would eat, so then I would, like, gain more weight. And then it would just, like, displease him every time, and I it, that was just, like, this vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. So I was continuing to do that, mm-hmm. and then I would overeat, you know, binge eat so much to the point where I would make myself sick, mm-hmm. and then I would go to the extreme and go on a juice cleanse for, like, five days and eat nothing. Yeah. So then, of course, I'd be starving, and then also I was eating all these things that weren't, like, sitting well with my body. Mm-hmm. So, actually, a few years ago, I f- took this allergy test and found out that I was not allergic to, but I had an allergy to, like, certain types of foods. Like, walnuts was one. Um, uh turkey was one mm-hmm. uh peanuts was one and I was eating peanut butter all the time so that wow. in and of itself yeah. helped me kind of to like not feel as bloated all the time I felt better about my body I had more energy throughout the day because I eliminated all those foods right. that I had an allergy to I like sure. in quotations because I'm not like I'm not I don't need an EpiPen yeah. for these things yeah but they were making my body inflamed. Yeah. Tomatoes was another one. Just kind of super weird. I inflamed all the time. I think, I will give you, so I'll give you the number to this lady. Her name is Heidi. And I, she, I guess she's kind of like, Heidi's a nutritionist. Okay. And she works with different clients to like heal your body in a wholesome way. You go to her? I went to her she three do? times. Okay. So you go to her and you yeah. tell her like what your diet is. Okay. You say, I'm eating these things, you know, morning, noon, night. Yeah. And you kind of, you log it for yeah. a couple weeks. That's and then she takes, where I fall off. Yeah. Because it's annoying. Yeah. And it takes like so much time. So I did that. It was annoying to keep up with. But then I, um, she gives you a blood test and you have to go do your blood at the lab. And then she sends you this report and it tells you all of the foods that you're safe to have, all the foods that you're having a reaction to, and then all the foods that, like, you absolutely cannot have, mm-hmm. like, ever. That's helpful. It was super helpful. Yeah. And that in and of itself, like, yeah. it was definitely difficult at first because I was, like, you know, going to restaurants and stuff. Like, yeah. soy was something I couldn't have, so I can uh. never have soy sauce. Well, I think going soy to an, sucks. Yeah, yeah, well, going to an Asian restaurant is yeah. nearly impossible for sure. me. So I just kind of learned, like, what my body reacts to. Yeah. And now I do not count calories. I think that yeah. is the stupidest shit ever. Sure. It gives me a headache. It makes me feel super bad about myself. And yeah. and if I am doing, like, the calorie counting thing where yeah. I'm trying to, like, stay on track of, like, a certain plan, mm-hmm. 
it's all I think about all day. And I'm yeah, thinking about totally. what I'm going to eat and what I'm not going to eat right. and how it's just, it is such a vicious, toxic thing for me yeah. that I have finally learned that I just, I eat when I'm hungry mm-hmm. and I don't eat when I'm not hungry. Mm-hmm. And I don't really have like, I don't know. I, I do like a lot of fruit smoothies. So oh, that okay. kills yeah. my sweet tooth for chocolates and dessert Does and stuff it? because okay. I have a huge sweet tooth and yeah. I love dessert and I yeah. will never be able to give up dessert. Like I just, right. I love sweets. Right. right. So I just try to make them like healthier desserts. Like yeah. I get desserts from Erewhon sometimes and I just, I'll have the cookie if I fucking want it. Yeah. Right. Right. But that's really what's helped me. I feel healthier and like I lost weight when mm-hmm. I started doing this stupid intuitive eating bullshit that I I hate to say that I do this because it's so woo-woo and it's so silly to hear people talk about this. No, I think but it's great. It's, I asked. Yeah, but it, it's made me feel much better than trying all these like crazy-ass diets. Sure. Yeah. Well, that I think, you know, that seems like for sure yeah. it's gonna. You know, for me, it's just, okay, and and I feel like I'm very much at a crossroads with it, which is the reason I asked. And thank you so much for yeah. elaborating. Yeah, of course. Because, okay, so I've I've quit like a whole bunch of stuff in the relative recent past. But the thing is, and part of the reason that I say the thing about, you know, the people on social media and it sounds like you need a drink is because, like, for me, if I felt like I was white knuckling my sobriety, I wouldn't do it. Right. And that's the part where, and that's, that's me. Right. And, and I should also say, I didn't have the level of addiction that I can relate to it. Right. Like I said, I really believe I can relate to all kinds. It's like, I don't know that I eat like boxes of donuts at once, but, but I'm not far off and I can imagine it. Right. right. And I feel that way about all addiction. It's like, no, I haven't been in certain situations, but could I imagine that level of compulsivity? Absolutely. Yes. Right. I took out all my eyelashes and I think it's the same thing ultimately. Yes. And so what what is I'm bumping up against with food is I'm like, I want to be healthy, not die. My dad died of heart disease two oh years gosh. ago. I'm so right? sorry. It's okay. Thank you. But it's like, I say that not to elicit sympathy, but rather because I'm like, I'm like, okay, so I know that this is in my history, right? And I've got heart disease like coming from every which way. And I, I want to take control, but not be like ruled by it. And, and I want it to feel not stressful, because that's not going to help either for the heart disease, for sure. Hell no. And I want it to feel like the sobriety does for me, thank God, relatively easy. That's the thing. And so that's why I'm interested in the intuitive, even though I I haven't been able to fully grasp it. Thank you again for mm-hmm. the explanation. But it's like you're saying, okay, I eat when I'm hungry. I don't eat when I'm not hungry. I'm like, and then I, you know, I know I eat emotionally, so I eat when I'm sad. I'm like, if my emotions were that clear to me... <laughs> That would be great. Yeah. But I don't know that they are. It's 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 definitely a weird thing to yeah. know when you're actually hungry and when you're not hungry. Right. That was what I was struggling with. Yeah. So what I came to realize is that a lot of times when you feel like you're hungry, you're yeah. actually thirsty and dehydrated. Oh, right. right. So they tell you to chug a bottle of water. So that's what I do before every meal is I 
chug a bottle of water. I don't chug it. I don't, I'm a very good chugger, but you right. know, I drink. It would be funny to get like a uh, keg of water, <laughs> yeah. like just a party of sober people, but like they really want to Hey, you can over, reminisce. You can overdo it with water too. I, I remember this story yeah. uh, where these people were in a car mm-hmm. and they had to chug all this water and whoever like chugged the most water won the car. Do you remember this story? It was like a, it was like Definitely national not. news. No. Anyway, you hear. I you never can, know like, anything talk. about national news. <laughs> can I just tell you? I recently watched impeachment. You know that like, yeah, the with, Ryan Murphy uh, with Beanie Feldstein and yes, it's like about Monica Lewinsky. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And so I was I was alive like and you know a fully like aware human being at the time of that scandal and it was on the news. But the thing about me and the news is sometimes when the news is on, I'm like it's boring. Like that's oh, you know, I'm just like course. it's the news. Sorry, I'm out. And so obviously at that time. I knew who Bill Clinton was, obviously, right. and I knew who Monica Lewinsky was, and I knew that there was a whole thing, and it's sex, and a cigar, and, like, whatever, <laughs> the sex stuff I was with it with. But then I remember that there were all these other names associated with it, like Linda Tripp and Paula Jones yeah. or whatever. And I remember at that time being like, it's the news, it's boring, they're probably, like, Congress women, and <laughs> then I watched the show. I'm like, they were not Congress women. Okay, well, it's beyond. So, so anyway, so like the fact that this water thing was national news. <laughs> I mean, you you did the opposite of selling it by telling me that it was. I almost like I don't know what it is because it was national news. Well, but also too, I can't remember the full story. Like I only told you a fragmented part. I'm probably you got bored. I got bored. I probably got some of that. So I actually I definitely got some of that story wrong. And also, right. you remember more than I do about the Bill Clinton Monica. Well, Lewinsky I just watched scandal. impeachment. Yeah, but even to know, like, those names that you, like, kind of remembered. I I mean, I, yeah, but I was, like, in high school at okay, the time. Okay, yeah, I was, so like, I think, in elementary school. Yeah, so, so. it's it's a little bit different, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, in in elementary school, like, I, I mean, I'm trying to think, like, what did I, Sally Ride was, like, an astronaut. That's what I remember if, if you ask, okay, so yeah. news from elementary school. I don't know anything. But, like, for the most part, I feel like this is why, because I was a lawyer before, so people are always like, oh, you I must don't. know stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> for sure. Not, I actively avoid my law degree on a daily basis, okay? <laughs> so I definitely don't. And the thing is, I got out. Not, I didn't hate it. I didn't get out because I was miserable or anything like that. But I was like, I was like, I was teaching for most of my career and like, I was like, okay, I like this kind of getting up and saying stuff in front of people yeah. and whatever like that I can, I can vibe with. Of course. But when I did stand up, I was like, oh, I don't even have to cover anything. Like there's no test. There's no bar exam. There's no grades. All I'm telling them is like, like all I have to do is talk about myself and I'm an expert in that because I've always been so focused on it because I've been abo- avoiding the news, <laughs> you know? So, so that's the thing. That Are I you, do you like. have siblings? Yeah, I have a brother. Are you younger brother? Okay, so you're yeah. the oldest. Uh huh. I'm the oldest sure. as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you think that that means like we're more naturally into like ourselves? Is that is that the reason you asked? Mm, yes, because yeah. we had so much responsibility as the older child. Uh-huh. I had three yeah. younger siblings. Okay. So you know, my parents would like go out for New Year's Eve, and okay. they would give me a choice. They would be like, "You can." Stay home with your siblings and babysit for us, mm-hmm. or you can go out with your friends. But like, we really want you to uh-huh. babysit so that we have the opportunity to go out. Uh-huh. You know, it's like impossible to find a babysitter on New Year's Eve because yeah, yeah. everybody's out with their friends. Right. And so I would. It'd be funny I, if they went out with your friends. 
<laughs> yeah, my like eight-year-old friend. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Like I, I don't want to say that they guilt trip me into doing it, but I didn't know better. Like yeah. I just thought that that's what I was supposed to do. Sure, sure. So I always was taking care of my siblings. Yeah. And yeah. I just I had so much responsibility. I feel like I had to grow up. Yeah. Really quickly as a child. Yeah. You know, sure. I was always mediating fights between my parents when I was like eight years old. Mm, and they're still married and they have a great marriage and everything. But yeah. I think I knew too much about being an adult when I was a child. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, my brother was like uh, and continues to be like very like responsible and with it. So I don't I don't know that I exactly had that because we very much had like just different talents you know yeah. what I mean? Like he was very good at like managing money and stuff like that. And so I remember, you know, that was something that like, I think my dad like, you know, would create like savings plans with him and stuff like that. And I, you know, I was, I was like a space cadet. I was writing. I was like thinking about, I don't know, just. Yeah. Me and you both. Yeah. I was in fantasy land. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Playing with colors and glitter. And yeah. Yeah. Thinking about moving to LA one day to be an actress because yeah. I knew I wanted to be an actor mm. at four years old. So that's, I would do plays for my family. Right. Always, you always writing and, yeah. you know, just performing for yeah. everybody. I grew yeah. up in a small town in South Carolina. Oh, see, that's a small town. Yeah, it was that's, small. It sounds like a small town. My family owns chickens. So. Really? Yeah. Wow. I didn't grow up on a farm. Yeah. But they live on a farm now. Yeah. So. Yeah. Huh. And I love the, I just see like the chickens on the farm to like you at Bristol Farms eating the chicken <laughs> in line. <laughs> it's so sad when you put it like story. that. This is actually really fucked. This is kind of a morbid story, but okay. um, I'm going to tell it because, you know, fuck yeah, it. Yeah, totally. So a couple days after my brother passed away, well, actually, so about a week after my brother passed away. Yeah, I'm sorry. I think it again. was, thank you. Yeah. I think it was a couple days after his funeral, we called it a celebration of life. Right. My mom was driving the golf cart mm -hmm. and she's got six chickens mm -hmm. and she with hit, her. Well, yeah, they live like at her house. Okay. So she hit one of the chickens with the golf cart. Like, I mean, she was going five miles per hour, Yeah. but it died. And you know, Sorry. what's so sad yeah. is that she had six chickens and there are okay. six members of our family. And then when my brother died, it made five. So then the chickens Huh. We're five now Jeez. instead of six. And it's yeah. just so, such a sad, like, yeah. I've never seen my mom cry so hard. And I felt so bad for her because obviously she did not mean to do this. Yeah. And they tell you when somebody passes away that you shouldn't drive a car for like a few weeks mm. because your judgment is just completely yeah. clouded right. and you just don't really know what's going on. And I, I was, you know, one of her friends told her that. Yeah. And I remember thinking it was kind of a silly thing because yeah. I felt like I was in control. And then I saw her hit that chick and I was like, oh, my God, like, right. that is a real thing. You yeah. really shouldn't get in a car. Yeah. So it's so fucked up. No, I just, like, brought the mood, like, completely down by telling that I don't. No, story. I don't agree. I mean, you know, I, I've experienced uh, quite a bit of loss in the recent past. And so yes. I, I, I relate to your thinking you know, oh, I brought the mood down by saying, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. I really don't. It's I mean, real. It's real life. You got to talk about it. And it's also the kind of thing that I feel maybe this isn't true for every single person, but at least for me, like grief is something that is always with me, mm -hmm. you know? And so I truly, I think I'm relieved when someone brings it up. 
I can relate to that and agree mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. And I think the reason why I say is, yeah. sorry, I feel like I brought the mood down. I say it too. In my mind, yeah. I don't feel like I brought the mood down because yeah. I'm a person who I can talk about grief and yeah. death in one yeah. sentence. And yeah. in the next sentence, I can laugh and talk about yeah. something completely different For because sure. that's how I compartmentalize things mm-hmm. in my mind is mm-hmm. I can talk about something sad yeah. and then talk about something happy right. and not have the emotions from the grief run over into the happy conversation, if that yeah. makes sense to you. Totally. So I think when I do say that, like, yeah. sorry, I feel like I brought the mood down. I think that is a yeah. protector of the person I'm with. It's a hundred percent that, you know, it's a hundred percent that. And I'm just noticing it because I'm like, you don't, you definitely don't have to apologize to me about yeah. that because for me, it's kind of like, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel, I feel like, okay. And there, I mean, today is six months since my wife delivered our baby, our first daughter stillborn. That is such a tough thing. And I cannot imagine what that is like. It's pretty wild. I mean, it's, I think that, you know, my dad died also around this time, um, two years ago. And that was, you know, both are sad. Both are shocking. Of course. Um, you know, death, obviously it happens in a moment ultimately. And it's, it's, uh, you know, it is that it's, it's wild. Um, I think the difference in terms of the grief for those two people, both of whom were like immediate family members to me, you know, with my dad, I experienced like missing him, right. Mm-hmm. Cause I knew him And then with our daughter, it was sort of this like really strange combination of like, wait, we thought, I mean, first of all, it was way early. Um, So my wife was 33 weeks and six days uh, pregnant, which is late into the pregnancy. Terrible at math. How many months is that? God, I don't know. Um, It was like like coming up on nine. Okay, so it was almost full term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was 100% like it's considered a full term birth. Had we delivered an alive baby, that alive baby would have been like early by a bunch. But still able to be in the ICU. and Yeah, exactly. And so so we had no idea. We had, you know, uh, five days before my wife had like heard like, okay, you know, maybe you're going to deliver early. Right. And there might be like, it was like perfect pregnancy up until, and then they're like, uh, something might be a little bit off. You have to do this, that, and the other thing. And she, you know, of course, like the rest of the pregnancy, we did everything, you know, that they say. And then five days after that appointment where there was this, all this maybe stuff, she delivered, the baby and the baby was stillborn. And so it was all very fast and all very shocking. And I think there's, it's just like this complete loss of hope and of promise. Hope. And, you know, it's like, I mean, and it, it, it turns out that it's way more common than I ever knew. Like there are 24,000 stillbirths in the United States every year, wow. which is like more than the capacity I- of Madison Square Garden by 3,000 people. So that's like a lot of, dead babies That's you know a lot of dead babies That's yeah so crazy so it's really wild um and you know I mean hugely upsetting and whatever and yeah but it's like you know I I talk about it in my stand-up you have to and yeah and it's like you know the kind of thing where okay so I I had been talking about my dad right and when I started talking about my dad 
you know, I would do the thing of like, sorry to bring down the room and whatever. And it's like, there is nothing like a stillbirth to make your dead dad jokes, your lighter material, <laughs> you know? Cause That's it's just, good. That's yeah. really good. but it's just like, it's true. It's really and so, good. you know, I think, I mean, I was supposed to tape an album before my wife delivered and the album was going to be called born sorry. And it's a punchline of a joke that I have, but also it's like, I think that if I'm always thinking, you know, about my trajectory in stand up, not just in terms of like achievements, because I, I don't know, I don't like to think of it that way, but, but also like in terms of like levels of getting to my true self or something like I, that. That's yeah. really cool. I, I, yeah. comp- I feel like I evolve with my standup. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that that's what's so great. I think about standup is that it's a medium through which it's possible to get to be your true self. And maybe for other people, that's medicine or law or engineering. You know, for me, I know specifically it's not law. Right. Um, but I also saw people in law for whom it seemed like it might be. And I think that that's me. I was like, oh, interesting. You seem to be really into this. I'm not. Yeah. But I can tell that, you know, it's like the light in me sees the light in you. Like I can see that yes. you've got something yep. that's lighting you up. And I sense that I could have that about me. Yeah. But I think for me, it's just talking about myself. So I'm going to go do that, you know? Yeah, and so, of course. So with stand-up, I think as long as I can be the most honest, I give myself a fighting chance of getting to that state, you know, whatever. It's also incredibly inspiring, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to watch someone do that, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I totally. I totally like I I think it's incredible like yeah. when you can take really hard shit like yeah. the death of a stillborn yeah. and turn that into jokes yeah. and really what you're showing to other people is that you've overcome all of these hardships. You've overcome yeah. this grief. You're living well, with it and you're dealing with it. Right. Living and dealing and surviving. You know, surviving. overcome, I feel like maybe is proving a little too much because I'm just like, yeah. like I, I do, I think you're right. Like I think, I think that's the thing is like this hard thing happened and I'm here, you know? And it's like, like today, I mean, I plan on closing because you have to, In a, I, I'm doing a six minute set tonight and it's like a relatively high stakes situation for me. Yeah. And so I, but I, I want to talk about it. It's literally the six month anniversary of when this happened. And so it's like, you know, my, and, and I, I don't want to open with it because then the whole set is stillbirth. Right. And that's not my intention, but, um, <clears throat> But basically, like, what is true is that, like, we had a stillbirth. It was very hugely upsetting. And also, the hospital, when this happens, and it happens, like, relatively frequently, they have, like, stuff that they tell you to do, right? And it's kind of like, you know, their protocols, whatever. And they're like, we think that you should spend a weekend at Bernie's with your baby, which is, like, I don't know if you know that movie, an Oscar-winning set of films from the 90s. It's like, you know, you, you hang out with a dead corpse. And I don't know, it's not funny, but it's like, that's what they say. They're like, you should get to know the baby. You should talk to the baby. You should sing to the baby. And then they're also like, and also we, we recommend that you take family photos. And like for us, we were like, okay, we'll do whatever you say, right? But it's like very odd and it's very strange. But is it bad that I think I look amazing in the photos? <laughs> okay. And like that is real. And it's like when I saw this picture, I'm like, honestly, like couple days in the hospital, no bloating in my face. Yeah. I mean, no fake smiling with a dead baby. You know what I mean? It's oh like I God. honestly was a little bit like 
glowing. Oh you my know? god! So it's, it's so funny. Yeah, it's it's, and I don't I don't mean it like the baby. I mean Leo. That was our daughter's name. Is oh, not that's a, beautiful. Thank you. Uh, punchline, you know. And I want to remember her. You know, I'm I'm creating a special now that's like a documentary special about Aww. the fact <clears throat> that's beautiful. That yeah, it sounds like I'm gonna cry. I'm not. I had something caught in my throat. It would be fine. <laughs> it, it would be fine Honestly, if you did cry. If I cried, it would be the best thing ever. And a camera's running. You know yeah. that about acting? <laughs> yeah. Like it's like like you become an actor and then you become a monster because you're like <laughs> If you're crying, yes. you're like, I am crying. And then it's like you get out of crying. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess you can, you know, I I, I, I have done it in my life genuinely. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it is like a train that keeps on going. But it's also like the idea that you're just like, oh, my God, my emotion was like so raw. And I was crying. It yes. was amazing. <laughs> but anyway, I wasn't crying. I'm going to take a sip of water because take I'm Take that sip of water, hungry. girl. Oh. When she had this stillbirth, like yeah. you guys – were fully thought that this baby was coming. You had a nursery set up. We didn't do a nursery because, like, in Judaism, you don't do that. Oh. At least, like, traditionally you just for us. put the baby in the bathroom? <clears throat> no, no. It's just that, like, we had stuff and then, like, but we didn't have everything. First of all, we didn't expect that we were going to deliver that early. Right. So we would have figured it out, you know, yes. I imagine, and we would have, like, you know, I I think my wife's parents would have like built a crib while we were in the hospital is probably what would have happened. But we didn't have the whole nursery set up because of basically superstition, you know, to not have that, which I think saved us in the end because would have been like, you know, a lot. I mean, I'm from the South. These girls and and my friends that I went to college with, they set up these nurseries the moment they find out they're pregnant. Right, right. Paint it pink, paint it blue, got all the wallpaper, the stuffed giraffe that's like life size, you know, all the whole works. But that's crazy that you guys didn't set one up. I I mean, I just, I know that's like part of your religion to do that, but I just had never heard of that. So that's interesting. Oh, yeah. And I think it's a Jewish thing. I mean, my wife and I are both Jewish and... But I, I don't know, you know, it's not like anywhere like written in the Bible to my knowledge. It's yeah. just like a thing just that a thing. I think, yeah. you know, people I know don't do, yeah. I guess. Had anyone yeah. given you any baby gifts? Yeah. So we had some stuff, but mostly like other people also know the whole superstition thing. So it's kind of a lot of like, we'll get it when the baby comes. Like that's sort of the mentality. Oh. You know? Um, wow. Yeah. I think like the Jews what? are a nervous bunch. Well, I mean, <laughs> rightfully so. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, no one knew that like this was going to happen. And like, there were no indicators like up until the last moment. Yeah. Because you, know? you these days they have yeah. all these tests that you can take where well, you can see. So did right. she do those? Oh, yeah. I mean, we were very much, like, on top of the care yeah. and all of that. We were doing everything. Like, you know, I think I think it's, like, there are levels of high risk and not high risk. And that's, like, you know, in terms of what will be different in the next pregnancy. I mean, we hope lots of things. Like, we hope for a healthy Karen and a healthy baby, obviously, which we were hoping for this time. Yeah. But I think the difference in terms of the care is that now that this has happened, my wife is for sure high risk, whereas she wasn't because she didn't present as high risk in this first instance. But, you know, I guess like, I, I don't know. I mean, in some ways, like I appreciate and understand that somebody hearing my story would be like, what happened? What can I do to make it different for me? Right? That's what and, I would want to know. And there's nothing that you can do. In a do. way, there isn't because, I mean, 
in the sense that, like, I guess you could say you're high risk, but it's also like we don't know for sure that now that we will be high risk in the next pregnancy, hopefully, that it will be different. Obviously, we hope that. Yeah. But we don't know. Right. You know what I and mean? Can you explain yeah. exactly what a stillbirth means? Yeah. So a stillbirth as opposed to like, let's say a miscarriage. A miscarriage is, I think, classified at up to 20 weeks or 22 weeks. I can't remember. Um, and not that that's so easy. Like that's a big deal and very upsetting as well. Yeah, because you're still uh-huh. getting excited about the possibility yeah, of something. For sure. Yeah. And, but I think technically the difference between that and a stillbirth is time. But I can tell you that like the baby that we took those pictures with looked like a person. And when you say you took a picture with the baby, like it was like the baby was like taken out of her stomach. Because I I assume they did a C-section to get it out. No, she pushed it out. Yeah. Wow. And it was just like she pushed out. I mean, sorry to be crass, but she pushed out a dead baby. Yeah. Wow. And a placenta afterwards. Wow. And it just had no heartbeat or anything like that. And then you guys sat there with with the baby and took a picture. Well, it wasn't immediate. Like they do, they, I mean, I don't know if every hospital is different, but like, so they put the baby like on top of the mom, which I guess is like, it's a very weird thing because, because it's like, like, I don't. This is fascinating, by the way. I did not know any of this. This Yeah. I mean, and again, you know, I, I am just telling my experience because I don't know, you know, if all of the, the hospitals are the same. Like we went to like a regular hospital. So I'm guessing that it's relatively the same. And to me, it seems, I don't mean it like it's bad the way they do it. Um, I think it may be a bit of an overcorrection because I think at some time there was like a throwing out of the baby kind Just of like thing. immediately like yeah. you put the baby in the trash or, or oh, I don't know so what I don't know say, why but yeah but but like I think because of trying to do the opposite of that they really put the baby like front and center yeah and again maybe you know, it's so hard to know what in the absence of it would be worse or better because this is just what happened. And we just did what they said, because obviously it's kind of like, okay, like we don't know what we're going to regret later. Cause of that's, course. that's kind of like the tack is it's almost like the re- the reverse of a tattoo. Right. I mean, I don't mean anything bad or, or good or whatever about tattoos, but it's kind of like the thing people say about tattoos is like, oh, you might regret it later or you, you're going to regret it. You know, it's sort of like they're like, listen, do this now so that you don't regret it. That's right. how I mean it. And so because you can't go back in time and decide correct. to do it over. Right. And so, you know, I, I understand it. It's just very odd. So odd. I mean, yeah. now I'm thinking about when my brother died, like imagine yeah. me just like sitting with his dead corpse, like taking right. selfies, like right. I think that might be kind of frowned upon. Right. And so, you know, but, but it, it was just like, yeah, it was a weird thing. Cause I, I can picture what she looked like. Yeah. And she looked like a whole person. Like there was actually, there was this nurse in the hospital who and they all, you know, the hospital has like whatever protocols, but also their people. And so, and again, none of this is saying this person was bad or anything right. like that, but she was like, oh, she's so perfect. She's so perfect. Like to a point that I was like, does somebody need to like tell her or something? Because it's like, don't ask this woman if your butt looks fat in a pair of jeans. Cause she's not going to tell you that your butt is dead. 
You know what I mean? Oh my Because she kept God. saying how perfect. But the thing is that in some ways I understand because she did have a kind of like perfect babiness about her. It's just that she wasn't alive. Right. And like I think so much about how in a variety of many ways, you know, I feel like I was told either explicitly or implicitly growing up that I wasn't enough, mm-hmm. right? You know, you're not good enough because you're gay, you're stupid, you're this or whatever. It's like your stand-up, I think for me, is this way that it's kind of like it's just me, right? And like obviously you have to be funny and all this stuff, but like ultimately like you're enough. And when I think about not only like the special that I'm working on about this, but also like Leo's existence, even if we're not going to call it a life, I just like, I don't want to reduce her to anything that's not enough. Because I think like, like the, the, the trope that I hear a bunch to the extent that I hear about stillbirth at all is like, this is really sad, but it's okay because we have a baby. Right. Mm-hmm. People like have a rainbow baby and then it's like sort right. of papering over and, this experience. And a rainbow baby means that the next, the next one. one is a Perfect. healthy baby. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's great. And like we got into all this because we wanted an alive baby. Right. So right. we're going to try and we hope obviously for a, a healthy baby and a healthy my wife and, you know, everything good is what we want. And this happened. And the thing is that like even though it's totally reasonable to have that element to the story, that rainbow baby aspect, I just also want to tell this part of the story before we know about that next part, because it's like, who am I to say that this baby and person who I met isn't enough, mm-hmm. even though she wasn't alive? Like she was ours. She's singular. Life isn't like when my dad died, People didn't say to me, oh, well, there are other men in the world or there are other people in the world or you have right. other friends or male figures. In your life. It's just, yeah, it's a person who died and that's sad. And I think that like there's such, it seems to me, resistance to acknowledging the sadness of this moment because it's yeah. just so hard. It's so hard. And I think there's like a collective investment societally in having pregnancy be only happy and joyful. Oh my gosh. I, um, yeah. And again, I don't mean to take that away from anybody. I'm just saying also this happened and it happened to us and she existed. She may not have lived, but she existed. Of course. It's and a- it's like, it's, it's a confusing thing. It's a very jarring thing. But I feel like I'm supposed to talk about it. You are definitely supposed to talk about it. And I feel like you're going to help so many people in talking about it. Because like you said, a lot of people don't know right. that this many stillbirths happen per year. I mean, I, had no I, idea. I certainly didn't know. Yeah. And I think I, I, I mean, I know that I have a lot of mom listeners. And right. I'm sure that we'll find out after this that other yeah. people have been through this. And this will My be incredibly helpful. My heart goes out to those people. Helpful. But um, yeah. I can relate in a sense to you know, feeling like your rainbow baby is going to replace Leo. And that's, it's not, I have a very close relationship with my boyfriend's brother. Uh And on occasion, I'll kind of think to myself, should I feel bad about this? Like, should I feel guilty? Because he's not replacing Harper. 
Yeah. You know, and and I have another brother too who's living, yeah. and I obviously am very close with him. Yeah. But I almost feel like I am wanting to get so close to my boyfriend's brother yeah. because it it's like I he has like a lot of the same qualities as Harper did sure. and it's a little eerie yeah. and but it does make me feel a little guilty sometimes yeah. and I don't know if that that's such a weird thing well I think that that's also part of the reason that <clears throat> talking about grief openly is helpful when you start talking about grief yeah. you start discovering things totally. that you didn't know yeah. were a thought i don't know 100 percent. and i i relate to it like i'm very close with my my wife's parents mm -hmm. and my wife's father is definitely a father figure to me of course and he's not my dad right and i think that like moments like that of guilt or any kind of like conflict internally about grief, it's like honoring the person who you miss for me helps in lessening the guilt that I might feel about relationships with other people. And so it's like, it's like, I want to make my comedy special about stillbirth. Right. <clears throat> in order to shed light on it and in order to you know, perform some jokes, I guess, that, you know, and some truths or whatever that, that I've discovered in living through this experience. And also, I want to honor the the fact that Leo existed. Of course. And the same with my dad's jokes, you know. I mean, my dad during his life would say, he was like, you should talk more about me and your material. So, like, now I yeah. am. And he's, <laughs> was your dad Russian? <laughs> yeah, he's Latvian. No, he was fully <laughs> American. He's from Long Island. Um, No, he he... He was in the United States for 46 years wow. and like kept the accent like he got here 46 minutes ago. Like that. I love it. You know. Yeah. And I mean, he actually like really thought it was funny when I did the accent. I know doing accents now is like I, a see, thing. I love it. I think you should keep doing the accent. Oh, it's I, hilarious. Yeah. It never honestly occurs to me not to do it. Um, it's just, whatever. <clears throat> and people are so uptight about stuff like that. I'm like. Yeah. You're just, I think it enhances the story. Like you yeah. giving the accent with your yeah. dad, that made him sound funnier. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It was very funny. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's weird about my brother two months before he passed away? Mm. He called me on the phone. He's like, you should write a movie about me. Are you gonna? I've, I have, I'm, ha um, I'm done with it. I'm doing the edit. Oh, that's now. so great. But yeah. Yes. That's so it's amazing. so interesting how yeah. two months before he died, he yeah. called me and said this to me mm -hmm. and basically like for an hour and a half gave me a rundown of all the like shit that he'd been through as an addict and yeah. from like, you know, being held at gunpoint by his drug yeah. dealer wow. to being chased in a Walmart by right. another drug dealer, just right. really dark stuff. Right. You know, there's all these movies about addicts. Mm -hmm. Like, there's the one with Mila Kunis and um, Glenn Close. Uh -huh. where it's called, like, Four Days, Four Long Days or something. There's another one with Julia Roberts. Uh, there's yeah. a, And then there's another, it's called Ben is Back. Uh -huh. Then there's another one with Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet. Uh -huh. And in all of these movies with these addicts, the addict lives. Yeah. There's, an, I have yet to see one where the addict dies, yeah. which is such a harsh Yeah, there's a lesbian reality. movie. Um, called High Art. Okay. With Ali Sheedy. Okay. Um, and I mean, I 
I have spoiled the ending in telling you why I'm but, recommending right, but, it. But she dies in the end. She dies, yeah. Okay, I'm going to have to check that out yeah. for sure. It's like, it's this lesbian kind of cult flick. Okay. I wouldn't say that it's, it's like, um, I mean, there's a, it's like a famous actress. She was in Dick in a Box. I don't remember her name, but she was Dick in the a mom. Box. Um, anyway, but she has a really funny character in it where she's just like, she, <clears throat> I don't know what she did in terms of creating the character, but it just looks like she's sleeping while she's just as like, I live for Lucy. <laughs> and like, she's falling asleep like left and right. Oh my God. It's very funny. Um, the movie itself is not funny, but because it's this like lesbian, like we all love it because it's like some yeah. straight girl. And then she like goes with Ali Sheedy uh, and they're in this like hot relationship or whatever. Okay. And, I'm definitely yeah. going to check this out. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, shows and tv about lesbians do you yeah. i watch reality tv at all mm, i watched uh love is blind season two recently. that was fucking nuts yeah yeah those people are crazy yeah, yeah so i okay. um that but not generally i watched the original real world okay yes i watched that like in high school yeah. for sure yeah well the reason why i'm bringing this up is there's this show called tampa bays like okay. b-a-e-s okay and it's a reality show okay. about lesbians in tampa wow this shit yeah. It's so entertaining. I bet. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. So, apparently, there's this, like, huge, like, lesbian community in Tampa. Great. Which I had no idea was, like, so, had no idea. so prominent. Yeah. So, you know, if yeah. you want to, you and your wife want to go live it up in yeah. Tampa with Do the bays. Yeah. Tampa. <laughs> yeah. But, no, this show is so entertaining. There is so much drama. I bet. Wait, are, is that, like, a known thing? Is there a lot of drama between um, well, and amongst lesbians? Well, it's women. Right. Way more emotional than a man-woman relationship. Maybe. I mean, to be honest with you, like, I have certainly had relationships in my life that have had a great deal of drama. Yeah. I also had, I mean, I dated a guy in college for three and a half years, and, like, we had a fair amount of drama as well. Uh, so I think that some of it is, like, a function of, like, where you're at and your age and, and the whatever. person and... Yeah. But I think that, you know sometimes I, if I'm looking back on like some relationships, I'm like, yeah, I think probably the fact <laughs> that we were both girls, like yeah. intensified. <laughs> they were competing. Know? Like each of the two, like the couples, there was like two like queen bee couples. Okay. And they were competing against each other to like be the, you know, the prominent oh, lesbian couple. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, right. In my current relationship, thankfully, I mean, we've had a lot of drama naturally, right? Like, my dad died. We had a stillbirth. But, like, us I wouldn't as really people, call that drama. Well, That's right, but just, I'm saying, like, in yeah. prior relationships, had that happened with anybody else I would have been with, done. Like, right. no way would we have been able to handle anything close to that. Whereas, like, my wife and I, thank God, I think, like, you know, we both came to each other, you know, kind of not later in life, like we're in our 70s, but like we've had relationships before and significant ones at that. You know what I mean? Yep. And so it's very much like I think I, I, this happens less. But like I remember at the beginning of my relationship with my wife, I was like, oh, my God, you're not mad about like something I did. And then I started to realize I'm like, oh, it's just that like other people I dated were like, you're being yourself. Stop it. You know, like <laughs> yeah. that's essentially what it was. That's maturity though. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and it's, and it's what's really hot about being with somebody mm -hmm. who's confident. Yeah. 
is that they don't care when right. you do certain things because they're so yeah. confident within themselves. They're yeah. confident within the relationship that you don't have yeah. to worry about all this yeah, I guess that's bullshit right. stuff. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I mean, I feel beyond thankful for my wife and for that. But of course. yeah, high art, the movie, there's a lot of drama in there. Can't wait. I live for the drama. I love it. I don't like you know, drama happening um, around right, me. Right, but I right. like to watch other people's Yeah, dramas. for sure. It's super fun. Back to, sorry, we got like a little sidetracked. Oh, no, but that's um, fine. Back to the stillbirth. Yes. I So how did you and your wife cope that week? So, like, what did it look yeah. like? You know, you left the hospital. Yeah. You went home. I'm sure that was not a happy time. Right. I mean, so first we had to make sure that she was okay because like, you know, that's a big part of it. So like she was on a magnesium drip, which is basically like in order to prevent like stroke and other things that could happen because her blood pressure was super high when she came in. Um, it wasn't like throughout the pregnancy, but like in that moment it was like really high. And so you're on a magnesium drip, which itself it's in order to prevent bad things, but it makes you feel bad. And so you're in the hospital. She was in the hospital while that was happening. So we were in the hospital for like two days And, you know, there's a lot of, like, monitoring of her, thankfully. And so once she was cleared to go home, thankfully, her parents were at our house. Mm -hmm. My family, my brother and my mother, you know, are nearby. So they were also around. And everybody from friends and my wife's coworkers and, you know what I mean? Like, my wife is, is, she has a very supportive work environment, which is great. And, like, you know, we both have very supportive family and friends. So, like, there was a lot of that in the, you know, immediate aftermath. And I think it was just kind of like really just dealing with shock more than anything. Somebody mentioned, uh, we were at our house after and like the TV was on, but it was just the, the guide, you know, like not even like, I don't, and I feel like maybe that is a representation. It's like, we couldn't even really get it together to like watch anything we were just sort of like shell-shocked oh hell yeah when my brother died yeah I was riding around in the car with no music and I didn't even realize there was no music on until because you're so consumed uh, in yes because there's just too much it's I mean somebody recently defined trauma for me as too much too fast too soon and I think that that is what it felt like in those Mm -hmm. moments where it's like there's way too much happening for there, for anything else to get in. Yeah, it's like by the time yeah. you wrap your head around what's happening, yeah. it's you're already to the next step. So yeah. then you got to wrap your head around that, and it's like yeah. you constantly feel like you're coming up for air. Yeah, I think that's right. I relate to that very much, and so, um, so that was what it was right after for maybe you know a couple weeks even. And, and, you know, we had a lot of people who were very around and supportive, which was like, yeah. it's everything. And maybe like three weeks-ish after was when I started being like, I, I want to talk about this on stage. And so I started then. And, you know, <clears throat> it was an interesting time because like there was a time when I couldn't talk about anything other than that, mm-hmm. which didn't last that long. But like, you know, it was rough because there were certain moments when it was funny and, but also certain moments when it was just not. And I'm like, how am I gonna, like, can I do stand up still? Like, yeah. what do I do? 
But for me, as I mentioned before, like stand up has always been this thing where I'm like, I, I want to be honest first mm-hmm. and I want to be funny because that's like the thing. But I think, I think because for me in my other career teaching law, I was younger, you know, and I was like, okay, I have to be smart enough. And so I always was like putting that first. And that made sense. It's fine, whatever. But I feel like when I started doing stand-up, I'm like, okay, so in the same way that there, it's about like teaching the law and like making smart points, that's the equivalent of like the punchlines mm-hmm. and being funny. And I want that, but I want to lead with being me. And so I feel like for me, I I bombed for years. And I feel like much more than other people I know because, I mean, you know, I mean, one could say because of whatever reasons, but I think because I was very committed to always saying what was true. And and it was a rough thing, I think, this time around because I had gotten, you know, I had some, like, successes and, you know, right before everything happened. Um, and so then I felt a little bit like I was like, oh, I'm kind of back at square one but I feel like my hope is that, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of like, I don't mean to, to suggest that I am in this level, but like, you know how Tiger Woods, like he was on a streak and then he changed everything and he like made his swing different and whatever. Of course. I feel like sometimes like when something like this happens, it's like, okay, I was doing good for like a little while there. And then this happens and I'm like, oh, wow. Like, I think I'm a pretty good comedian, but like, I don't know if I'm a can make stillbirth funny good comedian. Well, I think you've proven that you you are. You can. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not saying never, but it, it's a level that I'm like, that's a lot. Well, of course, you know? because that means you're influencing people on such a greater level than you could have ever imagined. Yeah. And, and, and I know you're not mm-hmm. setting out to do that. Right. It's just naturally happening. But yeah. I, I do firmly believe that the gates open, the doors open, and things happen for you a lot faster when you have a bigger purpose. Yeah. And it's not just like a, yeah. and it's not just like about yourself. Right. You know, because right. I think your stand-up has probably evolved. Like, it yeah. used to be you just, like, talking about yourself. And now yeah. it's become this greater thing where yeah. you're talking sure. about all the hard shit. You're talking about yourself. Yeah. But in doing so, you are relating to other people and yeah. you are helping them get through grief themselves, which I think yeah. is really cool. And I, I will Thanks. say the best piece of advice that yeah. anybody ever gave me Ooh, I love this. was that um, they said, stop trying to be funny. Yeah. Speak and write from the heart. Yeah. And I, I I don't know, that has really stuck with me and it's kind of how I live my life now. And if some things that I say aren't like the funniest thing ever. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Because I am speaking from the heart. I write from the heart. Yeah. And in turn, I think funny comes through that. Yeah. You know, once you work it out. Right. I once got a fortune. I found a bunch of fortunes on the ground. It's like a thing. I found over a hundred of them. What do you mean fortune? Like, like, like fortunes from, from fortune cookies, but I'll just oh, be walking. Oh, like, like the and, Chinese restaurant fortune cookies? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And oh. I'll be walking and I find them. I've, and I have a spreadsheet. It's like a whole thing. But, uh, but I found one. It was uh, November 23rd of 2018, I believe. And it said, your effortless humor will help someone in need. Wow. And so I was like, yep, not trying anymore. 
because it's just the effortless humor. But and it's like, you know, I guess the thing is, it's like we try to be effortless. But ultimately, like all of the funny things, at least that I've ever thought of, have come in those effortless moments. And then it's a question and a matter of like getting too effortless. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But I think you're right about writing from the heart. The last thing I wanted to um, talk Uh about with you is so you are planning to have another baby. Yeah. And I think that's incredible. Thanks. Is that hard to, you know, did you know right away that you wanted to try for another one? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we got into this because we wanted an alive baby. Of course. You know. <laughs> I mean, I don't think anyone gets into right, wanting a right. dead baby. Correct. And so, you know, in a way, it was sort of like, okay, I guess. Yeah. Like, it's kind of like, it's like after you get those notes on the television show. Not that they're the same thing, but it's kind of like you got into it because you wanted to have a funny, truthful television exactly. show that went well in a meeting or whatever. Um, and so I think in that way, yeah, we're going to try, but I think we also wanted to be realistic in terms of the, not only the physical, but the emotional readiness factor, um, because, you know, we're not looking to have, bring in a baby to our family, which we hope to do, but to do so at a time that we're still actively mourning. Right. You know what I mean? So I mean, today it's literally six months and it definitely feels different and better and more of like progress than before. And, you know, the hope is that, I mean, that's what time can do. I think it's also, you know, what you guys went through together is so tough because you both lost something. Yeah. You know, when my brother died, thankfully my boyfriend was there for me. Sure. Right. Right. You know, it was just, it was my brother. Yeah. It wasn't his brother. So he yeah. was able to be there for me from right. an outside kind of perspective. Yeah. So what, how were you guys there for each other during that time? I mean, they, con- like the hospital from the jump, it's like, I mean, they come in, they're like, we're so sorry you lost your baby. Here are so many pamphlets about bereavement groups and like, you know, this, whatever. And it's like, there's so many bereavement groups and you don't even know the levels that you're going to be affected by this and other people around you. And there's bereavement groups for them and all this stuff. So we went to everything. Like we, we do couples therapy. We went to a bereavement group that was a seven week thing uh, that was on zoom because of the pandemic. But like, it's people who we, uh, I don't know that we've met all of them in person, but like they, they're, around us and we could, um, you know, we have our own therapists. We talk a lot. We kind of, you know, do the steps. Like I think more than anything, we acknowledge that it is a loss. Right. And that each of us responds to that loss and it's not going to exactly be the same, our respective responses to it. Right. But we're both dealing with it. Right. Um, yeah. So I think more than anything, it's like communicating and like letting, yourself and the other person do that. Right. I don't know. I'm not an expert. Well, were there certain days when your wife was having the breakdown and then yeah. other days when you're having the breakdown? Like, what if yeah. you guys are both feeling you've got to have a breakdown that day? Yeah, it hasn't exactly come up in that way, mm-hmm. thankfully. Um, you know, I mean, for me, this is my nature, for better or for worse. Like, I went almost straight to like, okay, I, I got to make art about it. You know, that, I love that that was for me the way. 
um, and continues to be. And it's a big project. And so like now I'm almost done. I'm working with a friend of mine, Greg Russ, to edit it. And so the two of us, like we meet, you know, every week. Yeah. And we sit down and we do it. And so, and now it's like almost done, which is kind of amazing. Um, and, you know, we'll submit it to festivals and we'll, whatever, like we'll do the stuff that's like the next steps. And so I think for me, part of the processing is that, you know, and then also like obviously being there for my wife. Um, of course. Yeah. I, I don't know, just getting through the days and doing doing the thing that I feel helps me in general and also through grief. That's incredible. Thanks. You're so strong. You. I mean, look at you. You're Thank doing you. this. Thank you. I you know, know it's very it's very healing. And I love talking yeah. to people about yeah. all different kinds of things. It's weird. You know, I when I started this podcast, I had no intention of talking about grief this much. Oh, yeah. But I, it's like, you know, one episode, I'll just it, it's like straight comedy, yeah. funny, you know, spitfire like stuff. Funny and enough. then you were hilarious. No, no not yeah. really. But then some episodes are like yeah. the more serious ones. But it's right. interesting because. I, j- I get such a different response. Like, I, I always sure. thought that when you started a podcast, you had to fit into one uh-huh. type of, like, because I classified this podcast as a comedy podcast. Sure. But it's, like, kind of like a mental health podcast. Right. Thank you so much for coming Thank you the for podcast. having me. Of course. Yeah, this was awesome. Yeah, I, I, and thank you for talking about something this hard and being so open oh, with sure. me. Oh, sure. People say that. I'm like, I could talk. Like, you want stillbirth? I got it <laughs> all day and all night, you know? <laughs> I know. I'm like I'm such an open person too. I f- just because me just about stillbirth. Yeah, I would mean, say like you're close no, to I'm, I'm joking. Yeah. Um. But yeah. I, I mean, it's also like if somebody obviously if somebody has been through it, you know, I I feel like it has definitely given me like more empathy and more space for yeah. people's grief. Like I felt like I mean I felt like I was doing all right before, but like you can always use an empathy re up. You know. Definitely. Yeah. So God has a way of knocking you back down when totally. you get too confident. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Bring that assholery down. <laughs> yeah, I always need that. So do I. Yeah. Enlighten me. Bitch, I be a boss. I got the sauce. No point in fighting me. Demons leave them torch. I run my kingdom. Call me sire. We never taking L's. Only lessons. No, we never counting fails. Only blessings. Never stressing. I said enlighten me. I be a boss, I got the sauce, no point in fighting me Gang, they hyping me, rightfully I am stable, I am able, I am wealthy Full of health, on the rise, I got the belt You got a problem? Check yourself, bitch